This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England supporters podcast. I hope you're well and I hope you're keeping safe. Thank you for the feedback on the recent episode that featured Marco Kunauer, our German England fan. If, like Marco, you follow the Three Lions from abroad and would like to share your story, please do get in touch. I'll let you know how to do that at the end of the episode. And I guarantee you'll make it that far. As coming up, I speak with the current chief football writer for the Times newspaper, Henry Winter. Someone who, you'll hear, is very passionate about our national team. First though, just wanted to give a mention to the England Supporters Club. Now I know many of us are quizzing at the moment, but they've been doing a great job of keeping supporters entertained in these times. With a small weekly quiz for travel club members. Not that I've been doing particularly well, but I did see the one that involved Gareth Southgate. That was a tough one. And well done for him for coming on board. He gave an insight as to what he is currently doing. He's not just sitting at home twiddling his thumbs, you know. I think it's available to watch via the England social media channels. And also, the last podcast, we were joined by CJ Joyner, who explained the Block 109 fundraiser. Well, that first draw has been made. Well done, if your name was pulled out. Take a look on Twitter, at EnglandBlock109, for more information, and maybe about joining up for the next draw. Right, I think you're going to like this one. On to my chat with Henry Winter. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome English football journalist. He is currently chief football writer for The Times, Henry Winter. Hello there. Hi, Russell. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very good, mate. Very good. Missing the football, but as everyone else, admiring the the real heroes in uh, the NHS. Oh, aren't we all? Yes. Yeah. Football is, is a sport as well. Just taking that back seat. But it does does really point out now how much we do not rely on it, but miss it. Mm. But I'm guessing this situation that we're in, sort of a, a lockdown, is, is a completely new situation for yourself as a journalist. Well, I mean, it's it's bizarre. I mean, I've been doing this job for 35 years and um, I mean, I'm normally driving a thousand miles a week. And I thought, I, my car's just sort of sat out there saying, you know, what's going on, mate? You know, we're normally sort of hitting the road. And, you know, this time on a on a Friday, I'll be on the way back from doing an interview in the northwest or the southeast or, or wherever. So, yeah, missing it. And I, I, I feel a little bit for, uh, I mean, I spoke to Marcus Rashford and Deli Alley the other day. And I, I do feel for them because they were so looking forward to this summer. And obviously, Marcus was coming back from injury and... Delhi was sort of, you know, looking for his form, showing signs of it, and you know, trying to get get ready for the um, for, for for the Euros. And obviously, that's been that's been put back a year. And I'm sure you found this, but I, I found this with this England generation. They really love playing for England. There's no club versus country cliques. There's no 
um you know and uh, it, it's about the money it's not the these lot are genuine i mean it's it's that all blacks thing that uh, gareth southgate keeps going on about i can't use the exact expression but basically it's a it's a no idiots mm. philosophy and i sometimes read so and so is being linked with england and I, and I go he's got no chance southgate won't have him either on an age issue but also on character and it, so they're a good bunch, this England, this young England generation, Raheem Sterling, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Harry Kane, slightly older. Uh, you know, they're, they're a good bunch. And I actually sort of feel for them a bit at the moment because they're desperate to play. They would have loved to have played this summer, build, building on the back of, you know, fourth place in the world at the World Cup. So, uh, but look, we all accept there are far more significant things going on in the world. Yeah, I mean, how how do you think this will affect football and the England team will it will it put us a step back with regards to to next year now well how will it affect us do you think well you could argue that it will help from a very sort of cynical level and that Marcus Rashford and Harry Kane will be fully fit and I think Marcus was getting back to to fitness judging by the uh, the work he was doing on his bike and, and Harry Kane was obviously stretching and getting back into to fitness as well I think look it depends how many games are played between now and the Euros of whatever it is, 14, 15 months time, 14 months time. Um, but I think we could see Dean Henderson stepping up more. We've seen how brilliant he's been at Sheffield United, um, how he's responded to Chris Wilder's stick and carrot approach, how he could put more pressure on Jordan Pickford. I'm a huge Pickford fan. I thought he was terrific in the World Cup. I just think it's good if you've got a really sort of high-class number two. Dean Henderson will obviously succeed De Gea at, at Manchester United, so he's quite a player. So I think, you know, you look at the sort of the issues um, that England have had, arguably in goal, certainly the right-sided centre-half. You can see Joe Gomez, another year at uh, Liverpool, uh, will slot easily into that role there. I hope John Stones refines his form, because I think there's a fantastic footballer in there who's suited to the modern era in terms of the bringing the ball out from the back. Obviously needs to address some of the, the mistakes. So I think, it, you know, in a year's time, if you're you know deliberately looking on the positive side, I think there could be you know extra encouraging elements. Chilwell obviously is developing superbly. Trent, I mean, England got so many white backs. Mm. It's, uh, it's fantastic. And then you've got Jordan Henderson, who people are beginning to appreciate for the, you know, the exceptional footballer that he is. He was always a mob within the dressing room. But I think now that the public are seeing, probably because they keep seeing him lift trophies, but they're also seeing just what a good leader he is. He's better technically than, than people think. His attitude is just first class, whatever the score. He's just, he's there for the team. I think England are still looking for a creative player in central midfield. Harry Winks, arguably, if you know if, if he tra- if he trains on, um, and then obviously there's the whole sort of Madison Grealish debate. I still think Grealish is best coming in off 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 the left, although he's you know he, he does like playing number ten like Madison. And then you look, at the, you look at the front three. I mean, you know, they're not many better front threes as a three in the world. Obviously, France have got Griezmann and, and Mbappe. But you look at that front line of Rashford, Kane and Sterling and you look at the damage they did, you would, you would have been there in Spain, in Seville, in their backyard. So I think, I think England are in a really good place. And I, I think when football does return eventually, and obviously England are going to be a long way behind club football, I think there'll be such a desire to pull on that shirt again. Obviously, that will be echoed you know, with other countries. But I think there'll be something even more special 
about a country that's been through an experience like this then being represented as a country again. I think there'll be such an emotional reaction. And of course, I mean, as you well know, what five of the games, if England get to the final, will be at Wembley. I mean, it'll be Euro 96 times five. You know, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be bonkers. It would just be what a celebration. Oh, it'd be great. Yes, we can. Yeah, just keep our fingers crossed, keep hoping. But as you say, yes, there'll be plenty of other countries. Um, I'm guessing Italy and Spain will also be having similar thoughts uh, to ourselves. The Netherlands. I mean, mm. you look. You look at the generation of players they've got, the, the quality they've got in goal and throughout the team. You know they've got some exceptional players. France, you know Germany, you can never discount. So yeah, there's always you know, but that, but England are fourth in the world and they're there on merit. They've got a good young team. They've got stamina. They've got hunger. They've got the manager who has taken the heat out of shirt the shirt who has um, improved the relations between the dressing room and the press box between the dressing room and the, the support. I mean, you know, you would have been there in, in Malta and it was what it was just after half time when England fans were, were picking up their uh, the, the flags from the, the apron of the pitch and heading back into town, turning their backs on the team. You know, you won't get that now because everyone is... I mean, Gareth has united all separate strands around England from coaching to players, the club element, the cliques have gone to support to, to, uh, to the media as well. So, you know, the work that Gareth has done and not simply and everyone focuses on what he's done with the England national team, but also the work that he did behind the scenes. Um, just getting small-sided games coming in, you know, enhancing technical abilities at a younger age. So the kids from a younger age weren't playing on full-size pitches and brought, bringing us more into line with the European model. Little things like that, which don't often get spoken about. He was hugely instrumental going around the counties and the leagues and saying to them, listen, can you just stop playing simply to win, simply on big pitches? It's not all about medals. It's actually about technical development of these players. And I think even longer term, you know, you've, you've, you've only got to look at some of the, the talented players who, who are coming through. I mean, you could actually form a really good England team just from a four mile square area of South London. If you look, at, you know, you think of Hudson Adoy and Sancho and, and players like that. So, yeah, I think things are very, uh, you know, very, very encouraging. And England have learned how to take penalties, which I didn't expect to see in my lifetime. Yeah, well, I mean, you've you've seen a yeah, a fair amount of of England games. Um, England have played what is it a thousand and one games now, and I I read that you had witnessed or been is it a quarter of them? Uh, not a clue. But I've not missed a game since ninety three. Okay, as a journalist, um, yeah, I think it's about. I think I've seen seen about a third. But then uh, I, might, I might have got the wrong. Anyway, I'm not particularly county, but I know I've not missed the game since '93, and obviously saw games as a fan before that. So, what was, what was the first game you saw as a as a fan? I mean, the one that really springs to mind is Lineker's debut '84. Woodcock scored in at Hampden Park. Okay, um, and I was actually with some Scottish friends. Uh, I still actually got it. Well, yeah, I've got it on the wall here. Remember Bannockburn scarf, uh, sorry, flag. I, I still got that. And I remember taking it home and my mother said, but darling, didn't we lose? And I said, no, no, it was 1-1. And she was talking historically and I was talking uh, f- football-wise. Oh, I see. <laughs> it was Lineker's debut, 84. Pretty sure it was 84. Yeah, so that's one that sort of springs to uh, mind. And obviously I grew up quite near Wembley. So, I mean, as a kid, we our, our 
our playing school pitches for a while, certainly a couple of years, were behind with the old London Transport, as was grounds behind uh, Wembley Park Station. So we used to sort of kick around on there as a, oh, I'd be about, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, and uh, look over and see the, uh, the the Twin Towers. So you know, it wasn't embedded in me like it was with Raheem Sterling. He was always cycling around on his bike, looking up at the arts being built. But, you yeah. know, it was always, always featured large. So how did the, the journalist side of things come about? So that you then in 1993 um, writing your first England piece? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I mean, I did a few England pieces before that because I started in 85. Um, look, I've got the job now that, that I've, you know, I've wanted since I was sort of 13, 14, 15. I quite like the idea of travelling the world, watching football and, and someone paying for it. And, and Don't just, we all? Cultures. Well, I mean, like you guys, I mean, you know, I, I keep bumping into CJ and you and, and you know, uh, scattered around the world and you're enjoying the culture, you're enjoying the experience, you're having a drink with the locals. Yeah. You know, you're getting behind the, uh, you know, the, the, the team. And I think it's, I think it's brilliant. I mean, look, I've been through some dark days with England, a few riots in, you know, in the south of France and in, uh, and in Ireland, particularly in, uh, at uh, Lansdowne Road in 95. And it's actually, it's good being with England fans now. I mean, I, I think it's great that when you go abroad, you're playing matches with the locals, you're often going to lay a wreath or whatever. If there's some local national memorial, you're often going and doing that as well. I think you're, uh, you're you know, you're you're doing an amazing amount of goodwill and the, the players recognise that and the FA recognise that as well. So, uh, you know, we'll, you know, more power to your uh, elbow. But to be honest, I just like catching up with you guys and, uh, and and having a drink like we did in, I mean, that place you had in Portugal. I mean, yeah. I, I thought I had a half decent uh, rental um, place, but then I looked at the place that you and CJ had and I thought, my God, this, I'm going to get you to book my travel next time. Oh, you're more than welcome to come along, I'm sure. Just going back to the, the journalistic side of things, you must have seen things change sort of rapidly, I guess, since you first began. Well, two things. First, technology. Mm. If I sat in the back garden of your very palatial place in, uh, in, in Portugal, I could file a piece from there, um, either picking up the, uh, the Wi-Fi or going on my 4G. I could file the piece on my iPhone. Was when I was starting out, you're almost walking out of, Vicarage Road, running down the road, knocking on a front door and asking Mrs. Miggins if you can borrow her phone to lib copy to, to Fleet Street. The other thing that's happened is there are just so many matches around now. Um, so I can go to, I mean, I think the most I've done is about 140 odd games a season, a big tournament season, obviously. Yeah. So there's so many games and I've been very fortunate that my career has coincided with sort of Sky and BT scattering matches across the week. I have an issue with it and I write a lot about it in terms of how late they announce that what the, when the televised games are going to be and which the televised game is going to be, because I know many fans, I know this is more club issue than an international issue, but that, but it's, you know, it's, it's expensive for fans to suddenly have a game changed. They've booked accommodation, they've booked travel, they maybe booked time off work. It's an issue with their family partners, whatever. So, uh, but in t- for, from a, professional perspective having games across the week is just is manner for me because it's 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 just it's huge and it's i mean the if you look at the coverage now i think when england won the world cup there are about three or four pages of of say your average board sheet on it if if england won the world cup now there would be probably three days of supplements there'd be wraparounds there would be you know countless columns for for, for a month so 
yeah, there's been an explosion. Everyone talks about the media contracting over football. I can only see it getting bigger. It's just gone into different forms. So that's, I guess, the final change. Yeah. Is that a lot of people who consider themselves newspaper journalists, actually, we're not that. We're print journalists and we appear digitally, we appear online, we appear in tweets, as well as podcasts, whatever. So um, I think we're just journalists at heart, certainly football fans at heart. Um, and if I look around, one final thing on that, if I look around the press box, I don't know anyone who doesn't want England to do well. It's an absolute myth that uh, we quite like England to do badly. Everyone wants England to do well. For, for some people, it's a purely a professional thing that uh, if England are doing well, it's fantastic for circulation. More people want to read you. You've got more chance of staying longer at a tournament. But actually, it's because we really like the players. We really like football. A lot of us, I mean, some some people are more patriotic than others, um, but you know, everyone stands for the national anthem and everyone salutes it. You yeah. don't sing in the press box because that's 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 against etiquette. But it's um, yeah, it's uh, I think England covering England's you know it's a good it's in a good place at the moment. So in the past, you said that everyone's all, all rooting for England. In the past, we you mentioned there would, would there have been people writing or hoping that England didn't succeed did you experience that I would say of my career 35 years I probably knew, knew two or three of the the reporters who maybe had completely who said look the, the international team is hopeless and it was difficult then when England went and had a good win so yeah I think I think there were that there, there, there were a few had taken a you know, there were some managers that I didn't like. I thought McLaren was out of his depth and I wrote it from, from the word go, but I would still want the team to do well. I wouldn't let yes. necessarily my desire to, you know, be proven right over McLaren. Um, so, yeah, there's a, I think there's a great support for, um, for, for, for the national team now. But look, the Engl- England press have never been cheerleaders. You know, there's a great desire for the national team to do well because we spend a lot of time with them. You build up relations with the players. I mean, I, you know, I really admire Marcus Rashford as a person and what he stands for, the principles that guide him in life, as well as his ability on the pitch. Remember the great game at Ellen Road before uh, before England went out to the World Cup and that Ronaldinho flip flap he did down in the lovely. corner. Mm. What lovely, and you know. And Trent Alexander's the, the the same. Trent Alexander Arnold, you know the ability he's got on the ball, the attacking runs that he makes, the free kicks. You know, I think it was Gary Lineker who said, "Well, maybe play him in central midfield because he's probably the best passer England have got." You know, England got some special talent as footballers and as people, and I think that's a great mix and a, almost a privilege to cover. And uh, and one more thing on being a journalist, going back to to England's last game, Kosovo away. How long does it take, or give us a, a brief guideline of, of how long it takes to to write up, submit, and for that to be available for us to, to read your report? It's uh, yeah, I filed it 30 seconds before the final whistle. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just, because it's, I mean, in the old days, it's because the, the print, print sites were screaming at you for copy, and uh, nowadays it's because it goes up online. So yeah, I mean, I'm within two minutes of the final whistle. I'm I'm sort of gathering my my breath, packing my laptop away, and getting down to the press conference, or getting down to the to the mix zone, or to the uh, the, the press room to, to to rewrite. 
So, yeah, I mean, I would do, I mean, with England, I write a lot. So it'd be about 1,300 words on a match, probably 700 words at 60 minutes. I'll file that. And then maybe 80 minutes, I'll file another 300. And then a top and tail, as it's called, first few paragraphs, and then a payoff final paragraph you file. at. Well, they like it about 85, 86 minutes. Depends what time's kickoff, but normally around 85, 86 minutes. Oh. Um, then you just pray there isn't a goal in the last minute. Well, that was going to be my question. What happens if there is a uh, an injury time winner or or an own goal or, or something dramatic that happens in those last moments? Where where do you stand then? Well, it happens regularly. I can I can remember. It seems like only yesterday. I think I've just about recovered from uh, uh, England France at Euro two thousand and four, and I think England were cruising one all up, and then a couple of mistakes, and was it Zidane? Yeah. Dan uh, Free Kings, a Dan penalty, and and suddenly that was it. And then later on that night, I happened to be in the same hotel as the uh, the, uh, the the French, and I was going into um, my lift to go back up to my room. The French were staying there, and there was a French security guy on the lift, and I didn't think anything of it. And I tried to get past him, and he put his hand up and said, "Zidane lift only." And there was Dean Zidane standing in the corner. To be fair, he nodded to me because he realised we were English press. Uh, but I thought, my God, I've only just recovered from the first edition and now Zidane won't let me in the lift. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, you must have some great stories of, of your time on the road. What what stories can you let us know or, or tease us with? Do you, do you know, there's no teasing me. I'm, I'm just so very privileged like you to go to amazing places like Japan. I mean, Martin Samuel from the Daily Mail and I would always get up very early in, in Japan in Kobe and go to, and get on the bullet train about six o'clock in the morning and go to Kyoto and have a look around the temples and shrines because I love experiencing a different culture. And we've got the time out there to go and do that. Um, I mean, the, probably the most fun things is the England press team. I mean, we always play or try to play on the day of the game against the local press. And I mean, it just slightly rams home to you how seriously people take England. So we will be playing in Poland yeah. and they'd say, yes, yes, we've got the local stadium. It's, you know, it's a 20,000 capacity stadium and it'd be full. And I'm, and I'm going along. I mean, I played non-league in Scotland, but I'm pretty useless. And I'm going along with a bunch of um, hacks and, you know, the occasional uh, ex-pro and we've had some good players playing for us down here we just stick the midfield and and then they just will ping the ball around but you, you know you're looking out there and you're just going oh my god there are twenty thousand people there and we're lining up in the in, in the tunnel and there's the, the there's god save the queen and the polish national anthem and not only that they're showing it live on national television really yeah yeah yes yeah. <laughs> yeah that's happened, that's happened uh, at least two or three times now i can remember one game we played the england press team uh, against the Welsh before one of the games in Cardiff. And I rang up my counterpart in, in Wales, the sort of the Welsh press team captain. I said, listen, I'm being a bunch of journalists down from London. I just want to check. You're not going to pull any stunts. And it is going to be a bona fide Welsh media press team. And he says, yes, no problem, boy. Absolutely no problem. I remember it was in Ninian Park. They hadn't gone small. They'd gone Ninian Park, probably about about eight, 9,000 people there were raising funds for a local hospice. And I remember just sort of coming out of the away dressing room and first one out of the Welsh dressing room, the home dressing room, was Mark Hughes, followed by Ian Rush, <laughs> followed by Kevin Ratcliffe, followed by Neville Southall, followed bizarrely by Stuart Cable, who was the drummer of the Stereophonics. Oh, who, yes. Yeah. Who was actually a decent player, but who sadly passed away. Um, and then I thought, God, Mike, this is this is crazy. And then uh, the next one out was Joe Calzaghi. Um, and I, I said to I play at centre back, and I said to Sean Custis, 
uh, who normally plays centre-back or used to play centre-back, I said, well, I know who you're marking at corners, so you can take Joe Calzaghe. Um, and so I said to, uh, I said, to, I think it was Mark Hughes or Ian Ross, I said, uh, oh, yeah, so you're all, you're, all, you're all local journalists, are you? And Mark Hughes just burst out laughing. He said, yeah, I'm, wor- I'm working for sort of like Radio Cymru or Tap <laughs> FM or whatever. And I mean, it was just, it, I mean, it was, it was a privilege to be on the, um, to be on the pitch with them and they were you know they were great they were great so that was you know little things like that you think well this is you just laugh and you think what am i doing you know playing games at wembley playing games at hamden you know we're we're, we're fortunate to uh to 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 do this look we're, we're there to write and i hope entertain and inform but i hope we have a bit of fun along the way you know it's like having a drink with you guys going out and meeting the fans um because there used to be a few tensions between fans and I mean, I can remember when I started out being told not to um, basically not to sign anything in a hotel because there was a group of England fans who would sign all their bar bills in your name. Really? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was but that was a long time ago. And then and then and then, you know, it's, look, it's completely different now. And I, I would say there's a good I hope there's a good relationship between the uh, between the players and the, uh, you know, like the. Um, the block is it 109 yes is it, is it 109 have i got yes, that right block 109 yes i think it's brilliant what you're doing first the the, the fan the, the flags that came i thought was fantastic and also the um that this charity this charity initiative that you've got going i think is absolutely brilliant trying to sort of raise money and little things like that you, you know it might seem small and maybe only a few quid and maybe a small gesture but it's absolutely huge if you're say poland or kazakhstan or to be honest any country around the world and england remember this is england the fa you know the originators of the game the codifiers of the game the world's oldest in, international if england turn up it is a huge issue even when england were in the doldrums england being in town was huge so when the supporters turn up and they make a gesture to the locals. I'm sure you've seen it down the yeah. year, how much it is appreciated. Um, the fact that it's England. I mean, the three lines shirt and all that is still, you know, it's still iconic around the world, despite England not having won anything for so long. And I think that that was highlighted in that last game away at Kosovo, the the reaction that we as England fans received. I know there was obviously other other connotations that went with it, but yes, there are that when we we do go visit these places as long as it's treated respectfully and and we get that in return. Uh, I, ended right. up, I ended up that night in a bar with the local warlord. Absolutely really? night, absolute surreal night. I was going. He was sort of telling me what he'd been up to. I mean, he was quite a, quite a character. Um, yeah. So people you meet in life, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, but you know, I went to see, I think it was about six months ago. I went to see Sven Jürgen Eriksson at his house in, in Sweden. And I went there and we just talked and he became very nostalgic about England and how much he appreciated the support of the fans. He said, you, you media war is interested in my private life, but the fans basically went good on you, Sven. <laughs> and and thanks for Munich. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, Munich, you must have been there. Um, how, how was that from, from your point of view? Well, it was quite sort of special, perhaps even a bit more special, because I was at, as a kid, I was at school in Munich. My parents took me out of school in London and shoved me in school in Paris and Munich for a while. And I used to go to Bayern Munich games. And unfortunately, I picked the one season where Bayern Munich weren't very good. Uh, so it was actually quite nice to go there and just see an exceptional performance. And, you know, I can still hear 
Stephen Gerrard shouting at Rio Ferdinand, set, set, where he just laid the ball off and nodded it down to him. And then Gerrard scored just before half time. Um, you know, and another, you know, what a good bunch of people, Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard and Rio Ferdinand. And, you know, what I've found really good is that, look, I'm more than when, like, Rio Ferdinand, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher go into the go into the television studio. And they are absolutely brilliant pundits. They bring the voice of the dressing room into the studio and into our front rooms. And it's fantastic to hear. But I also love it, the fact that Gerard and Lampard and Joe Cole, I think Ashley Cole's starting out now, Sol Campbell, people like that are are getting into coaching and managing Maybe there'll be a golden generation of managers, which they'll probably hate me for saying because they hated the golden generation of players. But, you know, I think it's fantastic that when Southgate leaves, as he he may well do after Qatar, I think that there will be a deeper pool of England managers to pick from who will be English. And I think that's really important that the England manager is English because what I quite like Sven. Fabio, I just thought was a bit too detached and he didn't really get the English culture. I think the uh, I think everyone appreciates now that it should there should be an Englishman in charge of of the England team. Yeah, I mean on a on a similar theme, reading in your book, you regularly mention that players sort of should be consulted by the FA for sort of their their experience, previous England experience, their expertise, and sort of consulted going forward. You, have you seen anything like that? Has that materialised? Yeah, well, um, Gary Neville should be on the FA board. I mean, you think about Gary Neville's experience as a businessman, as a um, as a player with the club experience, the international experience. I just think all those ideas he's got, you know, we need them in 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 football. I mean, he's just whether maybe Rio Ferdinand would do it. We just need more of the dressing room and the boardroom. I think it's. I think clubs need it. I think the international team needs. It. I think if you look at certain countries when, you know, like the Dutch and the Germans in particular, when you see the DFB or the KMVB, you know, their their FAs getting off the coaches, you go, well, there's 100 caps there, there's 80 caps there. You know, I do think we need more footballing expertise and experience in, in the boardroom at the FA. Do you think that will happen? I think slowly, yes. I think that, you know, they're certainly sort of, you know, they talk to the likes of Paul Elliott. I know he was only England B, but he's still, a, you know, a, a figure of great substance. I think it will eventually happen because it makes sense. I mean, if I look at, I'm a member of the NUJ, obviously, that's it's all journalists at the top. But if I look at my business, if I look at, the, you know, the boardroom of, of my organisation, you know, it's it's mainly packed with former journalists. If I look at the BMA, it's mainly former sort of doctors and surgeons. And I think that's that's absolutely vital. You need that expertise. So why shouldn't that happen in football? That, you know, I think I think it'd be great if you had a Gary Neville or Jamie Carragher or Rio Ferdinand or Sol Campbell, anyone who, who, who I mean, it's difficult. I mean, I can't imagine Gary would have the time, but actually get them get that expertise so when they're pointing a new england manager when there are issues with the players when they are going overseas that you know you haven't got some in a way suit going yeah. into a, you know going into a boardroom as head of the delegation you've got 100, 110 caps there yeah the book that you've written i mean so many people that you that you interviewed be it Jack Charlton, Chris Waddle, Howard Webb, um, Lady Elsie Robson as well, um, all must have, well, I know they all had really interesting stories, um, which which you then wrote about. But is there anyone that you haven't 
actually come into contact that you think, oh, he, he would be a, uh, a great person to, to interview and get some stories out of? From an England perspective? From an England perspective or, or from a world football um well Messi would be nice um I you know the one I would say if I was going English I would go Ashley Cole because I think through the noughties he was England's most consistent player I've never seen anyone play Ronaldo better you think of the uh the Euros um in particular I just thought he's I know he fell out with the media but I think that was as much because there was a the interest in him for the on the news pages but I think He's he's been properly appreciated. He probably should be more appreciated for what he's he he did for England, also at club level as well. He's a remarkable individual. And I I can remember going. I was interviewing Frank Lampard in New York for the book, and uh, Ashley Cole was there. It's okay. They were playing Galaxy. Ashley Cole was there, staying at the same hotel, and I saw him walk out, and he just put his sort of sunglasses on and just walked out into the anonymity of Fifth Avenue. And I, and I sort of gave him a sort of slight glimpse of there's no way he could do that in, in England. Um, True. So I can understand why he would want to spend a bit of time over there. But look, he's back over here. He's doing his coaching. I think he'll be an exceptional coach, perhaps manager one day. But yeah, no, yeah, that rather saddened me that. And dear old Ray Wilkins, God rest his soul, was trying to sort of broker a sort of a mini rapprochement, certainly a coffee with a couple of journalists, including me and, and Ashley Cole. And then I think we were quite close to it. And then there was the headline about the the intern being shot at, uh, at training, which slightly put a kibosh on that one. But yeah, I would talk to Ashley Cole about what it was like playing against Ronaldo, about how he managed to maintain his consistency ever since. I mean, I saw that first game, you know, his his debut, which I think was out in Toronto, where he got hit by some lipstick. I mean, it was a bizarre, you were probably there. It was a bizarre old trip there. I ended up having dinner with Norman Wisdom. I mean, there's just the weird <laughs> things you do in life. So Norman Wisdom at the other end of the table. I was going, that's Norman Wisdom. It's just bizarre. Anyway, but so Ashley Cole was, was brilliant that night. So, yeah, I think probably Ashley. Okay, well, well good luck. Maybe it, maybe it can happen. Likewise, Messi as well. Uh, you never know. And what would you give as a general tips to, to any budding journalist in these current ages to uh, to get on on board and, and go about getting a, a career in journalism don't sleep <laughs> i always say slightly flippantly cricket was you know was kind of invented for, for for those of us to catch up on our sleep after the football season which which is a little bit harsh because I, I do love cricket particularly of england are playing just you know the the, the the normal sort of thing that you would tell your kids work hard and be nice to people but you know being nice to people being respectful not losing trust. I think it's very easy to lose trust in this game. I think it's quite easy to get a reputation. Um, and I, I think, I think, I think that would be difficult because players talk, managers talk, fans talk. So, you know, be, just think a little bit whenever I've written a piece and if it's particularly a critical piece of someone, I always reread it and reread it as if I was the, the mother or the father of the player. And would they recognise them? Was it fair? Just to, not necessarily to temper down any criticism, but not to personalise thing. And I got so I always get caught out on social media by saying something stupid. And that there was one particularly during the World Cup draw out in Brazil. And Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, was doing the draw. And I remember tweeting something which I thought was just I thought was funny. But then I've got a slightly warped sense of humour. And it was um, 
yes, England will today discover their fate, who they're going to play um, on the road to Rio. And um, this is also the day when Ronaldo does the draw that England will, f- you know, that uh, football finally dis- uh, will learn who ate all the pies. Um, <laughs> And the abuse that I got, completely legitimate, pointing out, first, A, not to be so disrespectful to one of the greatest players ever, um, but also that I think he had thyroid problems or there was some sort of medical issue at the time. And I thought, right, learn your lesson there, mate, because your notifications were just going up in smoke. I almost had to sort of turn my phone on with with, with gloves, because it, asbestos gloves, because it was so... So I think I hope I've learned that. I mean, the thing about this job is that you make mistakes on a regular basis, but you also have that opportunity to, to rectify them in your next piece. And I, at the end of every week, I sort of have a little think about what I've got right, and what I've got wrong. And I normally have more things wrong than right. But, you know, 35 in, 35 years in, you're still learning, which which is actually quite good and encouraging in a way, because it means there's a new challenge every day. So I would just say that advice, you know, just... Just remember players as human beings, I think, is is just really important. Um, like Raheem Sterling, I think some of the media gave Raheem Sterling, um, and I probably did as well, just some unfair stick. And actually, when you hear his backstory, you go, oh, my God, you know what? what you, you've, you've just done amazingly to have got where you have done in life with the obstacles that were placed in your path. So my admiration for Raheem, Raheem is huge. I mean, I think he's England's most important player on the pitch, off the pitch. I just think he's just so important. He sets a tone for a generation, I think. He's the voice of a generation. So, yeah, no, he's... I mean, look, the, the Joe Gomez incident was was a, was a step back, was unfortunate. Uh, but I think there was perhaps a little bit more understanding and a little less of an alacrity to jump on Raheem Sterling because of, you know, because of he'd opened up to us and we got to know him a little bit better. Um, so yeah, I think being fair to people, not personalising it, keeping trust, but it's just look like anything in life. It's down to work ethic. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for that. I mean, just just to round up, I mean, what if if you were to if you could put your finger on any one England moment in your lifetime that's uh, maybe brought you the most joy for whatever reason or the most memories, what what would that be? I think the one moment I always go back to, and I mentioned it to Sven, and he he just rolled his eyes and looked to the heavens, was that moment when Michael Owen took the ball away from Lucio in the World Cup quarterfinal in 2002 against Brazil, went through and scored. And I thought England took the lead. OK, it was sweltering conditions and it was going to be difficult for England. But I thought, wow, this World Cup has suddenly opened up. And I'm normally fairly measured. Um, but I actually could see England winning the World Cup from there because it wasn't a great World Cup in terms of quality. You know, you look at Germany, who are in the final, it's one of the probably the poorest, and they'd admit that, poorest German teams for years. I just thought that moment there, I thought, wow, this is actually possible. England could seriously win the World Cup again. And then, of course, you know, Ronaldinho, Beckham jumps out of a tackle. And what we didn't know fully at the time, was that Michael Owen was, I knew he was carrying an injury, but I didn't realise it was quite that debilitating. And he had only a few runs in him and they had to be in a straight line. So, yeah, I think that, and well, look, look, there are other amazing moments. Michael Owen's goal at Saint-Étienne was just remarkable. 
Um, I'm a huge Paul Scholes fan, so any time he was, you know, like in in Marseille, I think when England played there at the start of France '98, he was he, he was good. Um, penalty shootouts. I mean, I've lived through so many defeats, and but then going into the World Cup, you know, Jordan Pickford, Eric Dyer, great moments like that. You know, that was that was nice. It was, you know, it was almost like watching England grow up. Yes, I guess yeah. Following all all those games, seeing it all all come through, and and well, hopefully, uh, maybe a a year or two on, we can hopefully see us raise a uh, another piece of silverware. Yeah, but I think what's good is that the fans and the players and the media are going to tournament with sensible expectations. There's none of this, as Stephen Gerrard said after 2006. We went round Germany trumpeting how good we are and we came home mute with embarrassment i think there's a sensible level of expectation that england will reach the quarterfinals uh, onwards of the tournament and then we'll just see what happens but there's huge respect for the other great teams out there but i think there's a there's a quiet inner belief in gareth southgate and i think there's now a quiet inner belief in england and the most beautiful thing is the shirt doesn't weigh heavily on them anymore they get lifted by putting on the three lines rather than weighed down by it lovely uh, henry winter thank you very much for your time really appreciate it and i uh, well, i hope you can get back to the day job where you're uh, where you're driving a thousand miles a week very very soon safely yeah same to you stay safe and well russell yes likewise thank you very much my pleasure Thank you very much to Henry for his time there. Great to hear some little snippets of how he works, the story he has and his passion for England. Thank you. And of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Henry Winter. Now, I'm sure you may have read and seen in the news the passing of another former England player. Shortly after Norman Hunter and Peter Bonetti found the new pitch in the sky, they were joined by Trevor Cherry. Trevor made 27 appearances for the Three Lions between 1976 and 1980 under both Ron Greenwood and Don Revy. Whilst he scored double figures for club sides Huddersfield Town and Leeds United, he never found the net for England or Bradford City, who he also represented. He was captain of the side once in a game away to Australia, but Cherry had the misfortune to make history when he became the first England player to be sent off in an international, away to Argentina in 1977. Trevor Cherry died suddenly and unexpectedly on the 29th of April, aged 72. Now at the beginning of the episode, I did mention if you are an overseas England supporter, like Marco is, and would like to feature on the podcast, please do drop me a line. You can email 3lionspodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet me at 3lionspodcast. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Would be great to hear from you. Now, I'll be back soon with another of our England at the European Championships podcasts. I hope you can join me for it. Until then, stay safe, look after yourself and each other. Cheers. <laughs>